0: Hello and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1907. The topic is training and the title is Quick Thoughts on Current Popular Culture Training Concepts. One of my clients is a personal trainer, actually over half of my clients are personal trainers. (laughs) So this personal trainer client, they sent in a video off YouTube and asked if I would chime in. The video is of two experts in the industry talking about their thoughts on current popular uh, training concepts. So they they liked hearing the trainer's thoughts. But what was interesting for them was that the trainers disagreed on certain topics. They then wanted to find out, okay, well, well which way did I lean on the topic? <laughs> so that way they could have an idea of uh, a third perspective. So if you have one person saying yay, one person saying nay, ugh, who do you believe? You know. So thankfully they work with me, and I, I, I appreciate that very much. I'm honored by that. And then they wanted to know what my thoughts were so they could put that in relation to the other trainer's thoughts. And this is exactly what I would encourage any client to do when you have the time is to research into topics that you want to learn more about, hear the common thread among the top experts, and then eventually you do kind of have to pick one path and try that to its completion before you would then try an opposing Idea. So, uh, unfortunately, often people get stuck in between, and they'll be trying uh, one thing halfway, another thing another halfway, then nothing works, and, or they'll, like, when I was younger in my career, it would frustrate me a lot is somebody would ask me, my opinion, I would give them information, and then I would see them doing half of what I told them, and they would be doing the other half of what someone else told them, and then it wouldn't work, and then they come back to me, and they'd be like, hey, you said this, and it didn't work, and I'm like, well, you didn't do it the way I told you to. (laughs) So um, eventually, you do have to pick somebody. Uh, Now, when you're thinking of like coaches, for example, you want to pick a coach, and use their method and approach completely, like commit to it for a period of time that is appropriate for your goal. But that doesn't mean you don't want to continue to learn, that doesn't mean you can't ask them questions. All of my online clients have an online journal that's uh, individual, unique for each client, and they can ask me absolutely anything they want and I go in that journal once a week and answer all the questions. So I encourage questions, I love the educational aspect. I used to teach at the university level for seven and a half years, I love teaching. My undergrad, is in health of his ed teaching so i like the teaching aspect i certainly don't mind questions and i enjoy answering that uh, so the youtube video that we're going to talk about today if you want to check it out it's on jeff nippard's channel uh, his last name is n-i-p-p-a-r-d so again jeff j-e-f-f and then the last name is n-i-p-p-a-r-d the video title is overrated the worst fitness advice ever. (laughs) So um, it was uh, definitely one of those like uh, clickbait type titles. Uh, But it was good to uh, listen through it. I listened through it over uh, two days while I was eating. (laughs) So that's usually what I do while I eat is I listen to uh, training or nutrition videos or any videos that clients send me. I usually use that downtime to kind of catch those videos. So we're gonna go through the topics that they discussed in the video. Now in the video, they tried to stay at just 15 seconds per person per answer. I'm gonna expand on that a little bit more. But the idea is this to be a little bit of information, get you some uh, an answer to it, and then you could dive deeper into it if you'd like. The first topic is cheat reps. So is this an effective method? Is it overrated or underrated? And that's essentially what they were doing in the video was, is the topic they present, is it overrated, as in it's made out to be more significant than it really is, or is it underrated in that it's underutilized? People need to be doing it more. Uh, cheat reps, uh, I'm going to go under the uh, category of they, they can be done from time to time, but they're not a regular uh, occurrence. So when I've like, if you think of what cheat reps is, Arnold Schwarzenegger made it kind of popular with uh, cheat curls. So he would use some body English, body momentum to get the weight. He typically did barbell curls. So he would do uh, he did barbell curls for cheat curls. (laughs) He did many other types of curls, but he did a lot of cheat curls with barbell curls. So he would swing his shoulders, swing his hips a little bit. He would get the weight to the top of the movement. So he would he would cheat the contraction which is when you're the concentric, the contraction of the, of the exercise. But then he would try to be very strict and he would control the eccentric, which is the extension portion of the exercise. The eccentric portion is when we create the most amount of muscle damage. Now, if you're overloaded on the eccentric portion and you can't really control it well, you do run the risk of tearing a muscle or hurting connective tissue. So it's... It's an important phase of the movement, but it shouldn't be abused because you can get injured. So he would throw his shoulders, throw his hips, do what he gotta do, get the weight to the top, and then he would control the eccentric to the bottom. So that is what a cheat rep is, is you cheat the contraction, but you still control the extension. This is important because when people who are new to this technique, well, they don't fully understand that, they'll cheat the contraction and then just drop through the eccentric. And it's like, well, now you got nothing from that. (laughs) So if you don't control the eccentric, there was no point in cheating the concentric. You have to be able to control the eccentric for the technique to even be worth trying, to be even worth running the risk of the injury. Now, I actually don't do them with bicep curls. I don't like that. I think it is way too susceptible for injury, especially in people who aren't advanced lifters. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, 10-plus years of training, I'm sure, before he started really being able to utilize that, Uh, certainly before he became, like, super popular, won all the Olympias, all that stuff. But he had an extensive training background, really good mind-muscle connection. He understood the concept of proper weight load intensity, When people are kind of new to this, they don't understand all those nuances, and they are way more likely to get hurt doing cheat reps. Now, how I will use this from time to time is on back exercises, using cheat reps or cheating the contraction is actually a really great way to help build my muscle connection for the back muscles. So if I have a client doing a cable row or a... Lat pull down, like well, actually any seated row, whether it's a machine or cable, and then doing a lat pull down, whether it's cable or machine, is I will help them complete the concentric, so they'll do maybe out of a set of ten, we might get to seven or eight on their own. I'll then help them get into position. I'll help them cheat the concentric. They'll hold the fully contracted position, which is called an isometric hold. We'll hold that for one to three seconds. And then we want to control the eccentric for a three-second count. So let's think of uh, pull-downs. I'm going to help them pull it to the bottom. They're going to hold it at the bottom for three, two, one. And then we're going to slowly extend up at a three count. Three, two, one. And then they're fully extended. So we cheat the contraction. But we hold the isometric, the full contraction position for one to three seconds, and then we control the eccentric for three seconds. That is extreme control, (laughs) Uh, so it's not going to be a huge risk of injury. And the reason why we do that is when you when you think of a contract uh, of a repetition, there's the concentric, which is when you contract the muscle. Then there's the fully contracted position which you could pause and hold, which would be considered a contracted isometric. So people just call them isometrics, basically. Then you're going to extend, and that's the eccentric portion. So you have the contraction, the isometric, and the extension. Of all three phases, the weakest is the contraction. If you can get a muscle to a fully contracted position, you can hold more weight than what you could actually get there. And then... The eccentric portion is the strongest portion is you can resist a muscle contract like it will release but you can resist that release at a stronger weight load than you could do an isometric hold or even do the contraction. So the contraction is the weakest phase. So if you only quit movements when the contraction fails, you're kind of missing out on fully fatiguing the muscle. When somebody's having trouble feeling a muscle, building that mind-muscle connection, The deeper into true fatigue, true failure, you can get that muscle, the more the body will try to, well, the more the body will be aware of it. And the more it will try to develop more neurological connections to that muscle to try to prevent that from happening again. The body tries to protect the muscle. If you fatigue it hard enough, the body says, holy crap, that puts us at risk. We need to make that thing stronger. By making it stronger, by increasing neurological connections, you then are going to have increased mind-muscle connection so when we cheat the concentric which is the weakest portion but we control the isometric and eccentric we're digging the muscle deeper into muscular failure and that will help improve my muscle connection for that muscle the key to that is you you have to be able to control the isometric and the eccentric so you don't get injured So, that was a very long-winded answer. I definitely blew way past that 15-second mark. (laughs) But I'd rather you guys hear all this stuff and actually know how to use the information rather than just hear like a yes or a no. Uh, Cheat reps can be used from time to time. I really only use them in order to increase my muscle connection of specific muscles. I don't do cheat reps on a regular basis with myself or clients. It's just once in a while when it's appropriate. Next thing we have is muscle soreness. Is muscle soreness an indicator of a good workout? Uh, yes and no. Uh, you, If you're aiming for muscle growth, so the entire video is, uh, they're kind of talking about it more so leaning to muscle growth and strength development. Um, muscle growth would mean that you do have to damage the muscle tissue. You have to get it into uh, failure and fatigue. You're likely going to then feel sore from that. If you have new movements, if it's a new style of training, uh, you're going to likely feel more sore than if you have the same exercise over and over and over. So if you've been doing the same exercise for 12 weeks in a row, you're likely not going to be very sore anymore because your body has adapted to that movement. It's, it's kind of understood how that movement's going to work. It understands how to protect itself. You're unlikely to be able to make any reasonable progression for 12 weeks in a row, so you're not going to co- be able to continue to overload the muscle into failure. Uh, this is why I rotate programs every four weeks for clients. I think programs that last 12 weeks in a row of the same exercises throughout are trash. Uh, the only exception would be is if, say, you your uh, power lifter, And you're doing competition, squat, bench, and deadlift. Well, then those can stay. You're going to vary the weight loads, vary the sets, uh, vary the repetitions. But you need to be able to vary the accessories, vary what you do around that main movement. So the main movement can remain consistent, but other elements of the program should change. If you have the exact same workout, start to finish, for 12 weeks in a row, you're going to be very disappointed. It's going to be a crappy program. So muscle soreness for my clients is I would want them to be a little sore, sure, not worried about that at all. If they're so sore that they can't even do their next workout, that's too much. We're going to check their hydration, check their nutrition, make sure they're eating enough calories, eating enough protein, drinking enough fluids. Then I would worry about the programming volume. And this is because I can program pretty well. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to be giving them some volume that's astronomical. Uh, but if you're new to programming or you're following some other program, then you want to look quicker into the volume of the programming, whether it's correct for where you are or not, in um, whether you're like beginner, intermediate, or advanced. Sometimes, you uh, people will follow advanced programs as a beginner because they want to become advanced, but that's an advanced program. It's it's for when you are advanced, not that what well, it gets you too advanced. Um, so, the volume and intensity and the weight loads can be incorrect. I also see this with athletes who are very good at what they do and they start getting into coaching and programming and they write for their clients whatever they would do and it's like, oh, hold on, your client is not you. There's no way in hell they're going to survive what you can survive. Uh, they just don't have the same genetics, they don't have the same training history, they don't have the same uh, neurological control. So unfortunately, when somebody's a very good athlete, it doesn't mean they're good at programming or good at coaching. And they'll often misappropriate like the volume and intensity of the programming. So muscle soreness, yes, it it is a good indicator that you're doing something new. Uh, and you should be doing new pretty often. So a little bit of soreness, totally good. Like I've been training since I was sixteen years old with weights. I started before that, but sixteen at weights. I'm forty now. Good God, I've been so old. so uh, twenty four years of training i've never taken more than one week off um i've only ever taken seven days off like a monday to a monday twice in my life so i took a full week off two times in 24 years (laughs) they were both related to uh injuries one mental injury and one physical injury and then the rest of the time i've been training like crazy and i still do get sore So, I mean, I've trained for years on end where I never missed a single day. I've trained seven days a week for years. And I still will get sore when I change new movements, change new angles, change new weight loads, uh, try a new machine. Definitely whenever I'm doing something new, I do get sore. So my clients, if they're doing something new every four weeks, they're probably going to feel waves of soreness from time to time. And that would be okay. And that would be good. Okay, next thing we have is bro splits. This would be setting up your training for muscle growth where you only train the body part once per week. That is suboptimal. It's just literally not the best approach. Does it work? Sure. Like there have been studies where they've, you know, shown in trained adults and untrained adults that once per week is enough to to get some uh, positive muscle growth. However, it's not the best. It's it's not the best approach at all. Muscles can recover every two to four days. Small muscles can recover arguably every day. So if your muscles can recover every two to four days, but you're only training them every seven days, you're just inefficient. It's not optimal. You're missing time. You're missing opportunities for growth. So the bro split of like Monday is chest, Tuesday is back, Wednesday is legs, Thursday is shoulders, Friday is arms is antiquated. Uh, It's just not the best approach. Next thing we have is training to failure. Uh, We want to train to the edge of failure, not to the proof of failure. This is how I kind of use the terminology or think of failure. I want to train to where I feel like I'm about to fail, not that I actually do. So we train to the edge of failure, not the proof of failure. When we do it that way, when you train to the edge of failure, that is the correct intensity. So I do believe in training to failure if that means you're training to the edge of failure. I do not believe in training to failure if that means you're actually proving it and you actually are failing repetitions. Um, it increases the risk of injury. It's an unnecessary stress load on the body to do that for all working sets in the entire workout. Uh, so I would train to the edge of failure, not the proof of failure. Next thing we have is mind-muscle connection. Is it overrated uh, or underrated? If you're doing muscle growth, heck, it's super important. You you have to make sure that what you're doing is actually training the muscle you want. Now uh, there are so often that people will come to me like guys. They'll come to me and they're like, "Hey, I can't get a bigger chest, and they have huge front shoulders and triceps." because their technique is trash, and when they're doing presses, they're just trying to shove a bunch of weight around. They're not actually going slow, getting a good stretch, and actually feeling their chest. Uh, a lot of times when people try to grow their back, they, they say that they can't tell. Their biceps will burn, their forearms will burn, they don't really have good back development because their back really isn't even moving, they're just moving their arms. Uh, so lack of mind-muscle connection is causing them to miss out on growth in the back females and and males but females usually pursue glute growth more than males do which is unfortunate because males do need glutes Uh, but glute growth you'll often see you know if people don't know how to feel that correctly they're just hammering through a thousand lower body movements but they're going to have thicker quads and no (laughs) butt and it's because they're just doing the movements incorrectly so mind muscle connection is absolutely something you should pursue something you should try to create as much as you can Uh, i do believe it is extremely important for muscle growth the next thing we have are muscle pumps so training to a pump is that effective for growth muscle growth Um, yes but it's only part of the equation we want to stimulate muscle growth by annoying the crap out of the muscles and damaging them through sheer force which is a weight so heavy that it's actually tearing the fibers of the muscles and metabolic damage which is where we go for a muscle pump that's so intense and so painful that it causes stress to the muscle cells the muscle cells respond by becoming more robust becoming bigger to handle that stress now When we think of shear force versus pump or shear force versus uh, metabolic damage, I would say at least half, if not more than half, and I would actually go more towards two-thirds of your training should be more muscle pump-based if you're going for muscle growth rather than shear force. If you go shear force too much, you do run into muscle injuries, inflammation in the joints, and connective tissue injury. So shear force should really only be maybe a third-ish of your exercises, working sets. And then a pump or metabolic damage should be about two-thirds. Now for my clients, I control this. They don't have to worry about that. I control it with um, the number of sets per exercise, the repetitions per set, and the type of exercise. There are certain exercises that allow for more shear force damage than other exercises. So for example, a crazy hardcore set of dumbbell presses uh, for chest versus a a chest press machine, you're going to get way more sheer force damage on the dumbbells, the free weight, than you would on the machine. So I will control this by picking how often I want them to do machines versus free weights. Then if they're doing low reps versus high reps, whether one exercise has two to three sets, whether another exercise has four to five sets. So I take care of it for them. But in general, I would say a third of your training should be sheer force and two-thirds would be uh, metabolic damage, pump-style training. Next topic we have is dirty bulking. Uh, is this an effective method? No. <laughs> uh, I can speak from experience. Dirty bulking is if you want to build muscle, you just eat, 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 get that weight moving, You know, try to gain a pound or two per week, regardless of whatever the hell it looks like, eat burgers pizza ice cream whatever you gotta do you just get that scale moving I'm not a big fan of that because you're just gonna gain a bunch of fat that you have to take off later on so I have uh, when I graduated high school I'd already been lifting for two years I was six foot tall 165 pounds and I wasn't lean There's was no visible veins I had fat rolls in my waistline uh, so I was the fattest 165 pound person you'd probably ever meet uh, so it's unfortunate but From there, I'm now 40 and I weigh 280 and I have visible ab lines at 280. So I have actually a lower body fat percentage at 280 pounds than I did at 165. In order to gain over 100 pounds of weight and actually be leaner, i have going through a lot of diets where I pushed weight gain, then I had to lose the fat, pushed weight gain, lost the fat. Uh, I have been you know since then I I went 165 I got all the way up to 220 died it down to 190 then for a lot of years was somewhere between 210 to 250 I've gone as high as 295 before Uh, so I've been a little bit everywhere and the dirty bulking phases they pushed the scale but they did not make me look better that is not a method I would recommend because it just creates a lot more work later on trying to get all that fat back off the next tip we have are natural testosterone boosters. Are these, uh, you know, would you recommend these? or are these good things? Um, no. <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate because everybody wants to know what that little secret thing is. Uh, 99.999% of the time, people aren't optimizing their nutrition, their training, and their sleep, and their stress management. Those four things. You can throw in hydration into nutrition as well. But they're not optimizing those. And they are way more impactful than any supplement. So, I would focus much more into those elements than I would worrying about a supplement. When I get to the supplement point, I would think of, uh, you know what can help me grow muscle?" Is, is what's going to help me hit my protein and calorie targets, what's going to help me recover my joints so I'd actually get a joint recovery supplement before I'd worry about a natural testosterone booster. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things. You might need to get a sleep supplement so you can get good quality of sleep, stress management supplements so you can have lower stress loads that way your body can have a better environment to actually build muscle tissue, get cortisol lowers, uh, levels lower so that way you can lose more body fat. There's a lot of supplements that I'd recommend before a Testosterone booster. Now, when I have recommended testosterone boosters, it's been Tribulus. Uh, that's uh, shown to be a pretty effective one. You have to watch about blood pressure though. So, do not go take Tribulus, thinking that I told you to take that. Uh, you will jack up your blood pressure if you have any blood pressure concerns whatsoever. So, this is where like I probably I don't know if I've ever said like consult your doctor first, um, because they won't know anything about tribulus (laughs) so (laughs) I wouldn't say consult your doctor because they're not going to know a damn thing about it Um, but you would want to talk with somebody on an individual case-by-case basis so i would never blankly recommend a testosterone booster i would talk to the person know their history know everything i could about them before i would recommend something that would have the potential to raise their blood pressure so i have recommended uh, testosterone boosters before i've helped people with knowing when to get testosterone therapy uh and talk about hormones so I talk about uh, testosterone estrogen uh, all that lovely stuff that i really and whatnot so i talk about that all the time with my clients but that's always on a one-on-one basis i don't ever really ever do podcasts about that because i don't believe it's a good topic for general approach i think it's better on a one-on-one basis that way people don't extrapolate what you say do something and then get hurt so natural testosterone boosters i wouldn't i don't think they're worth their money uh in 99.9 percent of the cases people are better off focusing on uh, nutrition quality, training quality, sleep quality, and stress management quality. Next thing we have is one gram per pound of body weight for protein. Is that a good rule or not? In general, yes. It's it's going to get you in the ballpark of where you need to be. If you have trouble building muscle and uh, you have trouble eating enough, you might have to first aim for 0.8 grams per pound of body weight and then start to work up from there. When we say per pound of body weight, I usually use lean body weight for clients. So I estimate what they would weigh if they probably felt comfortable enough to be in, like, uh, you know, swimming trunks on the beach or a bikini on the beach. What would not be like 0% body fat, like getting on stage lean, but what would be everyday lean and like their ideal lean every day? I usually use that weight. I'm not going to use, if somebody weighs 250, uh, but they have 50 pounds of fat on them and we're trying to get them down to like 200, I'm not going to use 250, I'm going to use 200. So that is a good thing to be clear with is you want to use a lean body weight as a reference point. Now, when somebody's on um, steroids or extra supplementation and their protein synthesis rate is increased, I will recommend more protein if their body seems to assimilate it well and it seems to help. So that's all case by case basis. But most of my clients are between 0.8 grams of protein up to 1.25, somewhere in that range next topic we have is body recomposition which is the approach of staying at the same weight while trying to lose fat and build muscle do i think this is a good approach Uh, for most people actually yes this is actually what i recommend for most people because it gives them a lot of normality to their nutrition and training whereas in an opposing approach might be Okay, let's, let's get them to bulk first, then cut, or cut first, then bulk. You might go through, you know, eight to 12 week cut, then an eight to 12 week bulk, and those are relatively short actually, uh, so usually it's longer than that, or an eight to 12 week bulk, then an eight to 12 week cut, and then all of a sudden in 24 weeks, you, you don't know how to eat, because you just came out of two different phases of eating, and now you have to learn how to just eat to maintain. Now that's, that's very overwhelming and very challenging for a lot of people is you have to learn a system of eating for 8 to 12 weeks, then you have to learn a brand new system of eating for 8 to 12 weeks, then you have to learn another system of eating for 8 to 12 weeks. Ugh. That's just way overload, hugely high stress. So the concept of being able to build muscle and lose fat at the same time is easily achieved, very, very easily achieved actually in yesterday's podcast we talk about the impact of food timing and I talk about how you can actually do that how you can build muscle and lose fat at the same time Uh, now you can't do that within a single second but you can do it within moments of a day and then you do that back to back days back to back weeks back to back months you absolutely can lose body fat and build muscle while staying the same weight that allows you to learn how to eat in one consistent way and that's why I like that approach Next topic we have is diet soda. Is that okay? Um, does it have any issues with fat loss? No. Uh, you have any issues with building muscle? Unless No, unless it causes digestive stress. So if drinking soda makes you bloated and gassy and you're not hungry for your next meal, then yes, that's going to be a problem. But diet soda doesn't have calories, so it's not going to impair fat loss. I've had tons of people get on stage and look great. I've had people get pro cards tested in that non tested, and they've had diet drinks and whatnot along the way, and it wasn't any issue. So, you can definitely have diet drinks, it's not going to cause any problem. Uh, clean eating is this overrated? Uh, and what this would mean is somebody's trying to gain weight, but they're trying to eat like, you know, boiled chicken, Brussels sprouts, and brown rice. They're trying to eat like the cleanest of foods possible in order to gain weight. Um, If you can hit your calories and protein, sure, but at the end of the day, you need to hit your calories and protein. You eat as clean as you can while still hitting those numbers. If you need to let loose of some nutritional rules, so all of a sudden you eat white rice instead of brown rice, totally fine, not going to have any problem whatsoever. You can eat white rice up until you're on stage. Uh, I've had clients eat white rice backstage (laughs) on competition day, and they're totally fine. Uh, I've had clients eat sweet potatoes, eat uh, graham crackers, eat bananas. I mean, my gosh, you can eat a lot of foods that people think are restrictive, but they're not in any way uh, you just have to have appropriate calories, appropriate protein, make sure food digests at the right rate that you want, so that way you have the energy when you want it, or the nutrients, for example, protein, uh, when you want it to, to do the muscle repairs. So it's more about calories, protein, and food selection in regards to digestion rate than it would be about anything else. So clean eating, um, just do whatever you got to do to get your calories and protein, and then eat as clean as you can uh, hitting those targets. Next topic, the Natty or Not videos, are they helpful? If you've been watching YouTube, there are video series now where they'll pick somebody and, and like, you know, somebody will have a video and they'll talk about somebody else who looks great but they claim to be natural or they're at least they don't tell you whether they take or don't take drugs and they talk about whether that is uh, you know whether they take drugs or not whether they think they do or not mike O'Hearn, poor mike O'Hearn, that uh, gets picked on all the time because the dude's freaking impossible uh to be real he looks amazing he's strong as hell just looks freaking great all the time uh Throughout, like when I started into this at like 16, 17, 18 years old, he was famous and popular. Then I'm 40, and he somehow looks the same age, and he looks just as lean, just as muscular, just as strong. I don't know how the hell he's done that for 24 years. It's amazing. Uh, but he's an example where people will talk about, you know, is he natural or not? I I don't like the idea of speculating about other people's lives so i'm not that big big fan about that component but i do like the idea of trying to make it more understood of what's realistic or not whether you take drugs or not there are a lot of people who promote a body that is not possible without drugs but they won't tell you that or they'll just flat out lie so liver king uh, he got in trouble with that he was not disclosing that he was taking drugs in order to look the way he looked. And then, he found, and then it was like leaked that he does take drugs. And then he's like, oh, crap, I'm sorry. And it's like, well, dude, you were selling supplements, making millions of dollars, trying to sell your look, and your look wasn't natural. It sure as hell was not from just your supplements. Um, so I do like the idea of trying to create a healthy perspective of what's possible with drugs or not drugs but i don't like the idea of speculating about another person's life uh, so if we could find a different way of doing it i think that would be better next topic natty versus enhanced training so whether somebody's natural or they take steroids uh is their training any different no i don't uh, tr- i don't program anything different for people who take steroids versus don't what you'll just find is if they take steroids they make progress faster. So we make changes to what they do faster. Maybe they can end up eating more protein eventually. Maybe they can tr- handle more training volume eventually. Uh, so they might just make progress faster and then I adjust the programming and nutrition accordingly but I don't do anything different on the outset. Uh, you just I always just do nutrition and training based on whatever the person's body is showing us. And if it's slower progress than what we'd expect, we look into hormones, we look into some other elements, Uh, but if it's cruising along and things are going great, we just keep adjusting along the way, but there's no need to make anything different in uh, natural versus enhanced training. You would expect them to be different, yes, uh, by the rate of progress, but you don't, like in the onset, I wouldn't change anything uh, about what I do. Okay, Uh, next topic is cold showers. Are they beneficial for muscle growth? Uh, These are one of those things where I think they're way overblown. Um, So many people have not optimized their nutrition, their training, their sleep, and their stress. And then they think they're going to take a cold shower three times a week and build 20 more pounds of muscle. And It's like, that's a joke. So I'm not a big fan of these things being important in any way whatsoever. Uh, Could they be helpful in the nth degree when you've done everything else perfect? Yes. But do they take the place of not hitting your protein. Absolutely not. <laughs> so if you don't have the right calories, you don't have the right protein, you're not training the right way or consistently enough, you're not managing your sleep and your stress well, cold showers aren't going to do diddly. They're a complete waste of time and they're a bullshit thing for you to focus on to make yourself feel better when you should be focusing on the things that are probably much harder to do that are actually going to get you progress. So my little rant. I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, so we have two more things uh, next to last is locking out the knees is dangerous. Is this true? Um, you can lock out your legs, assuming you don't hyperextend your joint. So if you're hypermobile, please you know don't risk locking out your legs when you're super tired. So if you're in a leg press, don't get to the top and like in an exhausted manner, just lock your legs to try to breathe. If you're hypermobile, you can absolutely hurt your knee. Uh, so just lock the, like rest the machine, like rack it. Uh, If you're not hypermobile, uh, you can just kind of leave your legs extended, breathe for a little bit and keep going. I actually made a video on our YouTube channel. I'm going to start posting a lot more on YouTube uh, in this new year, so please go check that out. On our YouTube channel I have a video uh, from the 2nd of January, so just a couple days ago, where I did a full leg day, a leg training day, and in that you'll see I use the technique of rest pause. Which means that, um, especially in the leg press that day, I would do a, I was trying for a set of 16 to 20 reps with a couple rest pauses to get to 30 reps total. I think I did 20. I left my legs extended. The weight was unracked, but I extended my legs, breathed for a little bit. I got another four reps or so, then had to extend my legs, breathe a little bit. Another four reps, had to extend my legs, breathe a little bit, then two reps, and I got to 30. And then in those rests, in those pauses, I left my legs extended so that my muscles could take a little bit of a break. So the weight was pushing more, through, more so through the joints than through the muscles. The downside of locking out your knees or locking out your legs if you're aiming for muscle growth is it reduces, it takes away the stress on the muscles. Your weight will actually rest through the joints, not your muscles. So you're just sub optimally training the muscle but if you need to take a break in a rested position to gather one or two breaths and then keep going further into failure further into muscle stress that's probably fine again the main concern would be is being hypermobile and if you're fatigued and tired are you aware that you're staying in a safe position so if i have somebody who doesn't control their body mechanics well i would not let them do that but if somebody can control their body mechanics fine, even when they're fatigued and tired, then that's fine. No big deal. Last thing we have is the concept of filming in gyms. Uh, I film in my gym <laughs> uh, and I have clients send me videos all the time so meaning they film, film in their gyms. I'm not a, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's actually an, it's an amazing technological tool that we have nowadays. So it is absolutely amazing. I work with clients all over the United States. Florida to New York to California. I have client a client in Hawaii. I have a client in France and Spain, Costa Rica, Australia, Canada, uh, other places. I'm kind of blanking. But I have clients all over the place and it's because we're able to film in gyms that we're able to exchange videos. And I can help work with them. And it's a huge blessing, absolute blessing. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. There was a client I worked with in Austria, and we did uh, rehab on her. Uh, she tore her hamstrings and had to have connective surgery to them and then reached out as uh, through a friend of a friend. She reached out, and I helped her get back to brand-new PRs even from before her injury. And that was only possible with video exchange so video exchange is extremely extremely helpful uh, so i'm a big fan of it now the etiquette in the way you do it is helpful uh, so you know try to do it in a in a way that doesn't violate other people's space try, like for example in uh, like the brutal iron gym people would set up the camera stand on the deadlift platform and point it to the squat racks i'm like what the hell are you doing like you're you're, you can, now no one can use a deadlift platform, and you're in a squat rack. So you just took away two huge pieces of equipment, um, and it was just frustrating because sometimes they wouldn't ask, you know, other people. They would just set it up. Like, they might set it next to another squat rack to film their squat rack, and it's like, now you're taking two squat racks. What in the world are you doing? (laughs) You know? Um, So you just have to be aware of what you're doing with your camera. Make sure it's not in somebody else's way. There's no need for you to leave it set up the whole damn workout if it's a busy gym. Just set it up when you do your set. Bring it back towards you. You know, keep it in your position between the sets. Don't set a camera stand in the middle of the gym and just leave it there. Um, That's... I. Feel like that's a little invasive just be be aware of others when you do it i think that's the main reason why people aren't a fan of filming in gyms is the people who do it sometimes make it a violation of other people's space or privacy so avoid that and i think you'll be fine i have never had a client i'm not at least I'm not aware of a client ever having an issue uh, with somebody yelling at them or you know them having another uh, member of the gym Uh, you know argue with them about filming Uh, just just be aware of what you're doing be smart with what you're doing okay so those were the topics in that YouTube video I thought that was fun to go through if anybody ever wants to send me a video like this you're welcome to if you're not a client of mine I will try to get to it when I can. I try to answer non-client emails every two weeks. I've been doing a pretty good job of that. I don't think I've missed anybody. (laughs) So if I have missed you, please let me know. Reach out again. But I don't think I've missed anybody. I try to respond every two weeks. But... If you like this kind of stuff, if you want to hear feedback on certain things, you're always welcome to send in questions, always welcome to send in topics to the podcast to help just kind of facilitate a conversation that you would find more enjoyable and and helpful. You can email me anytime at brutalironjim at gmail.com. Okay. Well, if you want to work with me, we're setting up free 15-minute consultations right now. Just shoot me an email, brutalirengym at gmail.com, and I'll set it up for you. Just want to learn what your goals are, what your struggles are, and I'll tell you what we can do to overcome them. You can also sign up for that on our website, www.brutalirengym.com. You can go to the 101 services page. There's a link there to set up the free 15-minute consultation as well. I just want to make sure everybody knows about that, so that way if you are interested in working together, you get a chance to talk to me, and I get a chance to talk with you, and um, see if it's a good fit. Cool. If you like the podcast, please share the podcast. If you like the podcast, please consider donating to support the podcast, which you can do on our website. Also, if you like the information we share in the podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. You can find us and follow us on Instagram and YouTube under the name Brutal Iron Gym. As always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.